0: That's how I'm going to hook you in so you don't fall asleep. Got a lot of time
1: today, uh, but at the end of it, I'm going to end with a prophetic word for Appalachia that I believe is going to give us a new strategy for prayer and contending as we sow into our mission field. So, hang with me. A lot of it will be recapped, but for you to understand the prophetic word I give, you have to have a prophetic understanding, okay? Before I do that, I want to share this word that uh, Don Racklin and Jack Racklin sent us uh, from Mexico. They wanted to send us an update. How many of you know there's a crisis right now at the border? And I'm not trying to get political, but theres it's a pretty bad situation down there. Migrants are starting to pile up on top of each other, uh, hoping to get across. And uh, because the Lord is good like that, He's using this crisis... Uh, to minister his Holy Spirit among uh, the immigrants trying to get across. This is from Don uh, and Jackie. I thought it might be good to send a, uh, a report to First Church from the field. We did an outreach today with the migrant community in Reynosa. Many hundreds are stuck here. The migrants that I personally spoke to were from Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras. About 30 of those gave their life to Jesus for the first time. About 30 people. 30 of them gave their lives to Jesus for the first time. Many were healed and delivered. We distributed blankets, Bibles, food, and a few other items of clothing. We appreciate your prayers and your support so much. Thank you for being such an amazing body of believers. Jackie and I miss you and look forward to seeing you again sometime in May. We love you all. Blessings. P.S. The School of Mission is going very well with the students from the U.S., Mexico, Scotland, France, Germany, and Jordan. Hallelujah. Amen. Can you imagine that? I'll give you this over here. Can you imagine that? Migrants being piled up on the border, nowhere to go, but it's basically like fish in the barrel for the Lord. He's reaching them and bringing them to salvation, bringing them healing, deliverance, all with the school that's happening with people who have converged from all over the planet. Amen? I and mean, that's kind of exciting to me. I don't want to get too worked up. But that's pretty exciting, right? Amen. So, uh, next month we are having the leadership school here. Uh, Please, please, please plug in at whatever level you can, however you can, so you can begin to understand the greater vision of Kaleo and what we're doing in this part of the world that God has established. What
0: did I say?
1: Oh, man, I do this every week. Next two months in June. So June 5th through the 25th, put it on your calendars. So that way I don't have the message can Let's pray. <laughs> thank you, Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bind every distraction yes. right now. Lord, I thank you that you've prepared this word for this day. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that our hearts and our minds would be receptive to what you want to speak. Lord, I submit myself to you and your will. I don't want to speak my flesh or my own passion, God. I want to speak your word. Jesus, we love you and we honor you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Man, I love Jesus. Okay. Today we're going to do part two of spiritual warfare for the reborn believer. Again, just a quick recap, you are reborn, you're a new person. You were created once, born twice, once physical, once spiritual, right? And because you're reborn, you're a new person, you actually see the world from a different perspective. Not according to your flesh, but according to the kingdom you were made for. It's pretty cool, right? Part of that is that you are in a war. Okay, the war's already been won. Jesus has the victory. The devil's the greatest loser in the planet uh, in the history of mankind. He's 0-1 forever. But you still have to fight for what Jesus paid for you to have. Right? You have to put your hands to the plow and fight for what Jesus paid for you to have. And to be able to fight, you need to one understand your nature as a, as a reborn Christian. Jesus said you must be reborn. You are no longer the old person. You are new and you are regenerated. You are reborn. You have to understand your new nature. But two, you also have to understand what you're fighting. Right? What could be more silly than a soldier standing in a field in the midst of a battle doing nothing? Weird, right? You can imagine that. Just standing there like, what time is lunch? Wouldn't go well for that guy, would it? So we don't fight for victory, we we fight from victory, but we do have to fight because a complacent heart is a conquered heart. It's the heart of a free man that chooses and desires to fight for what belongs to him. And what? True. Your desire and your will to fight proves the freedom that Jesus paid for you to have. It's a conquered heart that goes as complacent. Ephesians six, verse ten through fourteen. Verse ten. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may able may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against the principalities, against the powers, and against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the, the evil day and have done all to stand. Amen. So, three things to point out you are in battle, you have to be prepared to fight. And Paul is writing to the Ephesian church to look at this. The same way as a soldier looks out preparing for battle. Right? It's pretty straightforward. He's saying, put on the armor, get ready because there's about to be a brawl. And who does he say we stand in? The Lord. He is our might. And who does he say we fight against? Democrats and Republicans. <laughs> no. I know, it'd be easy that one, wouldn't it? Just pepper spray everyone you don't like. It's much simpler. (laughs) Who'd you vote for? (laughs) Can't do that. Who are we fighting against? Criminals? Bad guys? Murderers? Rapists? No. We're fighting against a spiritual realm, right? And while those things are bad, and those people are doing bad things, not affiliating any political party at the moment. I'm just saying that people do bad things. Their motive is not from themselves, it's from something else. So we have to have a clear understanding that we're to prepare for battle, not against people, but against a demonic army. Look, and you don't have to be scared. Again, Jesus has already won. But you do have to be aware. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have written this letter to the Ephesians, would he He would have just written, hey guys, the battle's finished, put away all the armor, go to your cruises and your hotel rooms and enjoy the rest of your stay on planet earth. I'll see you in heaven. He didn't write that. He said, get ready to fight because there's a war going on and you're a part of it whether you like it or not. So, remember, Satan has been cast from his place of authority. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He was at the right hand making an accusation. Jesus said, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning. There's been a new establishment of authority on the earth, and it's no longer Satan. But Satan hasn't given up on the fight for influence. Right? He's not given up the fight. Because if he had, Paul wouldn't have had written this letter to the Ephesians. So, we have to understand, one, we're in a fight, two, who we're fighting, and what we're fighting for. So if Satan's already lost, what are we fighting for? It's a question to ask, isn't it? We're fighting for influence. See, Satan's already lost, but he hasn't given up his right to influence you. Because you still have your free will. And if Satan can influence you, they, then he can establish what he wants to establish through you. We call that demonic oppression. I remember the first time I was a part of, like, deliverance ministry. And just side note, everybody needs deliverance. Okay, deliverance doesn't mean you're less than. It means that you're growing into more than.
0: Yes.
1: Right? Everybody needs deliverance. You can't be a Christian unless you're delivered from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And then if you're a mature Christian and you desire to grow, you are delivered from yourself into more of Jesus day by day, year by year. So everybody gets delivered. We pigeonhole that word deliverance of the people flopping on the floor and throwing up. And that's part of it sometimes. I see plenty of it. But that's not the whole scope of being delivered. Being delivered means I'm being rescued from lies and being revealed into truth. So I remember the first time I was in a deliverance, uh, like the charismatic kind of deliverance session, like eight years ago, just a younger guy, no idea what's happening, I just know we're going in to pray for this person who needs, they're open that they have a demonic oppression over their life and they need deliverance. So I'm just going to go in and watch and, uh, you know, just kind of take notes. Just be a a fly on the wall, so to speak. And uh, we're going down the hallway to the room. And as I entered the room, it was like a, 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 a bat hit me. And all of a sudden, it just hit me. I could feel this fear come over my body. And I, I'm walking in the room, and I feel the fear. And I'm thinking in my head, I don't want to be here. I got to get out of here. I don't have time for this. This is too much for me. And then I I, I kind of check in my spirit. And I, I just had this thought come through my head. What are you listening to right now? God didn't give you a spirit of fear. So there's a different influence that's coming over you. You need to be able to discern the difference of what is God and what is of the enemy. So what spirit did God give us if he didn't give us a spirit of fear? He's given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. So as I was walking into that room, what I was actually encountering was the warfare of influence. And the demonic wanted to overcome me so I would be able to minister what I was made for, and I would then submit to the counterfeit of what the enemy had prepared. Yes. See, this is what spiritual warfare is. It's the battle for influence. And you're like, well, you know, that's pretty cool, but I don't go through a lot of deliverance ministry things, so I don't know how this is going to apply to my everyday situation in life. Well, It does. You need to be aware of what's influencing you in your choices, in your relationships in the decisions you make day to day. See, the easiest way to figure out what influences you is to be aware of where you go to when you're uncomfortable. When life starts to squeeze you and you begin to feel the pressure of the, the world around you, where do you go to find shelter and comfort? See, Holy Spirit wouldn't be called a comforter if He hadn't already prepared comfort for you to rest in And there wouldn't be a point for Him to be a comforter if you weren't supposed to be walking in uncomfortable situations. So as we fight, we need to look and allow ourselves to be aware of what's influencing us. What motives am I actually trying to obtain and gain as I do my day-to-day life? Am I being influenced by the Kingdom of Heaven, or am I being influenced by something else? See, that's spiritual warfare. So, what you look look for to comfort you reveals what you're being influenced by. Here we go. You ready for this? (laughs) Oh sure, pastor it is. Do you allow yourself to be influenced by fear? Anxiousness, lust, bitterness, the feeling of being able to be in control or to dominate people or situations. Church people. <laughs> All of us. Rebellion. Complacency. Do you go to your phone when things get, I mean, I'm just being honest, when things get hard in your life, do you just find yourself saying, I just need to sit in front of my TV for three hours and watch three runs of Nash or whatever show you watch. I'm not saying TV and and phones are like evil, but they can purpose evil in our life if we're using them as a tool for comfort. Depression. You weren't made for depression anger, rage, manipulation, isolation, rejection. When you allow yourself to go to these things for comfort, you actually open doors for demonic activity in your life. It's true. And I'm not saying that I've like conquered all of these places of influence in my own life, but fighting begins with recognizing the fight. All right? James 4 verse 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What is, what is James saying there? Resist the devil, so put on your boxing gloves and begin to fight him. No, not at all, he's already beat. Resist the devil means when I get offended at church, I'm resisting the urge to isolate myself because I need time away from other church people. And I'm submitting myself to God and saying, you made me for community. And even though other people are not perfect, you're perfect. So I can go sew myself back into where I'm from. Yeah. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit goes, oh, there it is. And he's fighting. And he begins to meet you and draw closer to you inside the anointing of what he prayed you Resist doesn't mean that when you get, you have to go to Thanksgiving dinner with your family and there's always that one relative who wants to argue with you about things that don't even matter, you don't get drawn into the argument. You begin to see that person through the eyes of
0: Jesus and you say, no, 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 they're just delusional, that's fine. I can still love them
1: regardless of what they do to me because I'm submitting to what God is saying over my life, not to the way they're acting. And as you begin to love that person, Jesus begins to draw closer to you because you're drawing closer to him, not the way you feel. It's true. Spiritual warfare is not people just always throwing up and getting delivered. That happens a lot. But spiritual warfare is in the day-to-day, day, life, places in life, where we allow ourselves to be influenced by the kingdom of God instead of being influenced by darkness in the way you feel. Oh, your feelings are not the governor of your life. They're an alarm clock. They tell you when something's wrong inside of your your biosphere. They they let you know when something needs to be addressed, but they're not your governor. They're not. Jesus is, his kingdom is, Somebody say amen. amen. The way you feel is not your reality until you turn to yourself to submit to it. Until you submit to the way you feel, you're free. Amen. You are. Doesn't mean you have to feel great all the time. Nobody's asking anybody to come to church and lie about the way they feel. That's preposterous. What I am saying is that the way you feel doesn't actually dictate what you do. And that's fighting. So again, spiritual warfare is rejecting and resisting what you were never made for. Even if it feels good, seems real, and makes sense, if it doesn't align with the kingdom of God, it's a counterfeit. Yes. So we're going to shift gears really quick. Now you guys understand what spiritual warfare is, right? It's influence. What influences you? Have? Check, We got that? good? Should we do like question and answer time? Good. We're gonna switch gears to talking about regions, spiritual warfare in regions. When a group or a region of people have submitted their will or given the enemy influence, they have established a principality. Is everybody familiar with that word principality? Just quick recap, it's a, it's, uh, uh, a demonic presence or demonic influence over a region or a nation or a culture. It's a group of people who have aligned themselves with a will that is outside of the will of God. Does that make sense? Like two second synopsis on what a principality is. Go to Daniel ten. First one. Perfect. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message, I'm just impressed that I can say that properly. Belteshazzar, everybody say Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar. <laughs> That's hard. The message was true, but listen to this next sentence, but the appointed time was long. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those day, days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all until three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now on the 24th day of the first month, I was by the side of the great river, that is, the Tigris. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, Whose waist was girded with gold of up, up as his body was like barrel, his face was the appearance of lightning, his eyes like the torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voices of multitude. Verse 7 And not Daniel alone saw the vision, for the men who were there with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength. In For my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. Verse 11, And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for I have been sent to you while he was speaking this word this word to me i stood trembling verse 12 then he said to me do not fear daniel from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your god your words were here earth, and i have come because of your words but the prince of the kingdom of persia withstood me 21 days and behold michael one of the chief princes came to help me for i had been left alone there with the king of persia now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days where the vision refers to many days yet to come. Amen. It's a lot of scripture to read. Thank you for sticking with me. So here we have this amazing scene. Before I explain, I just want to help you catch up to speed with the story of Daniel. They are exiled Hebrews in the uh, the courts of Babylon. Uh, they've already gone through uh the dream interpretation situation where they almost died uh, because the king had a dream and he wanted the wise men to interpret it. They went through the uh, fiery furnace scene and now Daniel, who knows, who knows that there's supposed to be an awakening and a renewal for the Hebrew people, begins to mourn because he's been through much but what he's purposed for has not yet come. Is everybody good? He's ready for it. So he does something special. What does he do? We call it a Daniel fast. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure that when Daniel did this, he was not thinking for the next 3,000 years, I hope Christians do this whenever they feel like it's time for them to lose weight after the holidays. (laughs) Right? I don't know where this came from, but we just decided that this model of fasting is the model that we're supposed to do when it's time to fast? It's not. It's not scriptural. It's not biblical. Jesus only modeled one fast, and it was the fast that the Holy Spirit led him to through relationships so he could grow deeper in love with the one who put him in the desert. Right? We've made a tradition, a man-made tradition. Daniel wasn't doing a Daniel fast to create a new tradition and a new diet fast. Daniel was exiled to Babylon. How many of you know that Babylon was a ruling empire? It it was a new civilization. It was known, obviously, for conquering other nations, but it was also known because it was a trade and merchant empire. All the great spices and all the great lotions and foods and wines came from Babylon. It says when Daniel didn't eat any uh, savory foods, any wines, or anoints himself. What that word anoint actually means is he didn't lather himself. He didn't put any new perfumes or lotions on himself for 21 days. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that Daniel didn't do normal Babylonian things? Because he wasn't looking for Babylonian breakthrough. See, he had the understanding. It says that his words were heard in heaven and he was beloved because he was willing to humble himself and he had a desire to seek wisdom. And you know what? Sometimes seeking wisdom causes you to engage in things that are countercultural to the culture around you. So Daniel sees because he's humbled himself and he desires wisdom and he says, you know what? There's a kingdom on purpose for that doesn't align with the kingdom around me, so I need to separate myself. I need to fast from the things that are normal to the culture around me so I can invite the kingdom of heaven. So he does a Daniel fast. And he, he, he turns himself from the comforts. Of living in the Babylonian Empire. It's the only reason he does it. And it says because he starts doing that, he begins to pray. There becomes a, a, a more intense war that happens inside the heavens. And this messenger angel, who who represents the anointing of Jesus, because it's the same description that hap- happens in Revelations, begins to tell him. Because you separated yourself, because you humbled yourself, because you became counter-cultural for the kingdom of heaven, you brought breakthrough for the nation of Israel. Who was the Prince of Persia? Is he a physical man? No, he was the principality that had been established by the Babylonian people who were influenced with a thought process. And an influence that didn't align with the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven couldn't break through Babylon because the people of Babylon had established their own king, the prince of Persia. You guys with me? You understand this? So Daniel did something that caught the attention of heaven and accelerated what God was planning to do. Because again, the message had been appointed for a time, but the time was long, and it was Daniel that accelerated it through his countercultural obedience. So, what does that mean for us? Where do we live? Come on, guys, wake up. Where do we live? Appalachia. We're Appalachian. Right? Anybody here? We're Appalachia. So how was Appalachia formed? Anybody know? Kind of. Yeah, that's part of the history. Whoever said moonshine? You're close. (laughs) Appalachia was formed by Scott Irish refugees who were fleeing the persecution of the English church. Did you know that? They were fleeing the persecution of the English church. They wanted to have uh, their own religious freedoms, so they left and they began to settle inside of the the colonies of the United States. Well, their Dutch and English counterparts who had gotten here first didn't really like that. The the, the Scot-Irish people like the Cahill's and the Ewings and the other uh, Scotch-Irish were looked down upon at that time. They were looked at in the same way black slaves were looked at uh, by their masters. Does that make sense? So when the scot-Irish people came over here, they started to settle in places like uh, Pennsylvania, Boston, and they just didn't really fit in. People didn't like them. So as they began to settle, as quickly as they came, they began to leave because they were rejected by the Dutch and English. And as they left, they began to reestablish themselves inside the foothills of Appalachia, places like Livingston and Salina. I don't know, name them, whatever, whatever you want to look at. Okay? So, they, you know, Livingston is actually named after, after a Scottish dignitary named something Livingston. See, we'll look it up yourself. Get on Google. But the Scott Irish people actually began to build communities because they were rejected in communities that had already been established. It's kind of important to understand. So, I used to think, and I still do think this is a big part of the the war that we're in in Appalachia, but I used to think that the root of the problems in Appalachia were religion, addiction, and poverty. I do. But how many of you know that those are symptoms of rejection? Of a root that was sown at a time before? Now I understand that these are just symptoms of rejection, clanism, isolation, and rebellion. That we are living in communities that were actually built upon rejection, clanism, and rebellion. And you know, I've been in ministry for a couple of years, and this finally makes sense now. See, drug addiction is too. E- I mean, drug addiction is everywhere, right? Like it's every city in America has a drug addiction problem. But drug addiction is a counterfeit satisfaction for something else that you were made for. When you're rejected, you look for anything you can find to fill that void, don't you? Yeah. When you're not received, what do what, what you do? You isolate yourself. And you begin to form the clanism that we see in Appalachia today. You know, if you're not from Three Hills, you're not really from Free hills are you it's true if you're not from I, I, look, I'm not pointing a finger at anybody because I'm just as guilty as anybody I'm as rebellious as it gets I, I know I get it but if you're not from Birdstown let me tell you how easy it is to start a group in Birdstown it's not You know, and, and I watch people come here and become excited about what God is doing in this church. But the, the idea of submitting to godly authority terrifies that. Who does that preacher think he is? How dare he say that to me? I felt the same way. And I repent of it.
0: I, I really do. I'm not, again, this is not towards anybody or any people or anything
1: because I'm as guilty. I mean, my last name is Abel. Most of you don't know this, but part of my family was raised in the hills of Kentucky. So I'm just as guilty as anybody here. But until I'm able to identify the root of the way I act, the way I act, and the influence that's caused me to move in the ways that I move, then I can't really fight, can I? See, poverty, religion, and addiction are really just symptoms. Of being rejected, of clanism and isolation and rebellion. How many of you know that you don't want to pick a fight with a Scot Irish? <laughs> because they will fight you. It's the truth. I'll fight you. It's just the way I'm built. But that doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it's the kingdom. So what are we to do like we now know that there's a war there's a principality how do we begin to shift the influence in this region it's a big question thank you for asking we have to repent of the cultural influences of this area that don't align with the kingdom of heaven we do Is it my responsibility that my forefathers felt rejected and angrily planted cities in the mountains of Appalachia? No. But I'm not going to let the enemy take advantage of that. No, I'm fighting. I'm not going to be complacent. So I have to reject what the culture calls normal and begin to invite and pursue what God has purposed me for. So when I feel rejected, I have to speak the truth. No, I'm a child of God. I've been bought at the highest price. My name is John Cahill, but I belong to Jesus and his blood flows through me, so I don't belong to that cultural influence anymore. And I feel the need to separate myself from community and build my own little clan of people who feel the same way I feel so I can validate myself. I need to say no. I wasn't built for clanism in isolation. I'm built for the whole body. I'm built for the kingdom of God and I reject that and I'm not going to break off and and do something different just to spite the people I disagree with. I'm going to plug in and pursue community because this is what God has purposed me for. And this is a hard one because I don't want this to seem self-serving. I really don't. Hear me with a humble heart. But when a, a spiritual leader says something I disagree with, I can't, in good faith, knowing that my father has called me to submit to authority, say I'm not doing that and I'm going a different direction because you know I'm just a rebellious halo. Look, you guys have a choice to hear this however you want. I'm not trying to feed you my own dinner here. Like this is not the home cooking to get people to stay. I bless. Anybody who wants to do whatever they want to do, but if you can't see this from the perspective of the kingdom of heaven You will be trapped under the influence of the cultural norms in this area And if you think I'm afraid to say it out loud, I'm sorry I'm not because I know that God has called me here to receive to see revival in Appalachia So I can't be quiet about it. This is the truth. You can't establish the kingdom of God while living under the principalities of hell. Okay, let's pray. Stand up. We're going to together repent of these things. Or Rabasi Vadakana Asantala Bako Rabasi Ala Ame E. Or Kobase
0: Matakana Ana
1: E. Father, I thank you that you've established this body to go to war in the heavenlies for the kingdom of God to be established in Appalachia. I thank you, Father God, that you've called us to awakening in Appalachia. God, that there's been blood and sweat so many years before us. And Lord, we take hold of what you've called us to and we pursue everything that you've purposed us for. Just begin to pray in the Spirit and give thanks. Just however you feel that. Like. Lord, so we bless you, Lord. We thank
0: you that you call us to
1: revival in Appalachia. Father, we bless you and we thank you for bringing us here. Or well, we declare in the name of Jesus that everything that is in opposition to your kingdom would be cast down in our minds and in our hearts and in our region in the name of Jesus. God, we repent of rejection in the name of Jesus. We repent of rejection, God. We declare right now that you have called us your sons and daughters. We belong to you. No group of people can identify us to them, God, because we belong to you. We repent of rejection in the name of Jesus. God, we repent of clanism and division and isolation in the name of Jesus. We repent of it.
0: God, and we rock
1: swords in the kingdom of heaven. And we say, when one wins, we all win, and when one They saw the other disciples casting out demons in Jesus' name. You did not rebuke them. You said, They're doing my work by my name, so let them go. So, Father, we bless every other ministry in this county, in this region, to do the work of the kingdom. And, Father, we submit ourselves to what you're doing. God, we submit ourselves to what you're doing. God, Forgive us for our wickedness to want to be selfish and make ministry about ourselves, God. We repent, Lord Jesus. We repent for our preferences. We repent. we repent for the
0: things that
1: we've made idols in our lives over what you've established and called us to submit to. Lord, we just declare that you are the King of kings.
0: That Appalachia
1: belongs to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. If you need healing, if you need deliverance, if you need breakthrough in your life with you altars up to this person,
0: Lord. You are healed, in worship.